Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Glad you're here today. What a great presence is in the place. Thank you for your presence in the place. If you're a guest with us, welcome. Hope you've enjoyed it so far. Hope you felt the presence of the Lord in the place. And glad you're here. Thank you for saying that, whoever said that. Awesome. I told him before service started I wasn't too sure on the theology of a bald Jesus, but uh, we'll see what we can figure out with that. Uh, they seemed fine with it, so it was good, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles today, we're going to be, um, we're going to be in a lot of places. So we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, and we're going to end up all the way in Revelation. So we're going to cover the full spectrum of the book today. Don't worry, I set my timer for 30 minutes, and so that's what I'm going to try to abide by. Now, if you also know, uh, know me very well, you know that I'm probably not going to hit that 30 minutes, so uh, be ready. We'll probably go 35. Is that okay? Give me 35 minutes. All right, cool. Very good. Thank you. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read verse 6 to you, then we're going to pray and talk about the title today, all right? This is actually considered widely to be a Christmas verse, so I'm going to turn the holidays totally up on their heads today for you, but we're going to start in Isaiah 9-6. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I want to preach to you this morning, no longer broken, no longer broken on this Easter in 2023. Let's bow our heads and pray at this time. Father, we thank you for your presence that's in this place. We thank you for all that has taken place so far today, God, for the, uh, the drama, the songs, everything that's been worked on so well. God, we thank you for our egg hunt yesterday and the new people we met and the old faces that we saw, uh, uh, familiar faces we saw. I apologize. Lord, we thank you for it. But we just ask you to continue to be in this place today. Lord, let those that have ears to hear, Lord, let them hear the word that is coming from your spirit today for your people. We thank you for it, God. Let it get into our hearts as good seed and good ground. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, Isaiah is uh, he's a dynamic prophet. He's somebody that if you like prophets, he's the one to look at. And uh, his book is uh, 66 chapters. It's a fantastic book to read. But Isaiah, is his story and his prophecies are not without adversity, not without trial, all right? Uh, there's not always good news coming from the mouth of this prophet. And in the day of Isaiah, the people that he was serving, the people of Israel, they were a people that were in decline. They were a people as a culture, as a society, they'd been through king after king. They'd had good kings, they'd had bad kings, but their culture was in decline. Isaiah would later prophesy about judgment that was coming because of the sins of the people. There was corruption, there was despair, flesh ruled instead of spirit. The people of God had a covenant with God, they had promises from God, but they were not living in a way that enabled those promises to come into their life and happen. Does that make sense? Sometimes we have things that are going on in our life that are the devil, Amen? Sometimes the devil, he, he can be a jerk, and he shows up, and he tries to wreak some havoc. Sometimes we're the jerk. Amen? 
No, let me, let me rephrase that. Sometimes I'm a jerk, and I cause things to happen in my life that are not God, that are not the devil, amen, but they're not lined up with what God wants for me. And that's the reality of being a human being. And I love the fact that we serve a God who knows people. He knows people. And he knows the decline of these people. He knows the despair of these people. He knows the corruption they're dealing with. He knows the sin that is overpowering them. He knows all about it, and he speaks to it. And that's what I love, is that he sees their condition, and he does not himself despair. Do you understand? God does never, he, he never sits on his throne and wrings his hands and, and rubs a bald spot on his head because he doesn't know what to do. Did you know that? God is not moved by what moves you. God is not disturbed by what disturbs you. I think part of what makes him God is that he can know it all and not lose his mind. Right? The older I get, the more I know, the more I rub a spot on my head and think, what? People, what? People do that. What's this world coming to? I used to hear the old timers say it when I was young. Now I'm saying it. What's this world coming to? And yet God, from his vantage point, from his throne on high, is not moved by the decline of a society. He's not moved by corrupt leaders. He's not moved by sinful people. He's not even moved by people who should be righteous, but they're not being all that righteous. And instead of looking at this situation and keeping his mouth shut and just saying, well, they're on their own. If they get to the other side, I'll see them. Instead of doing that, he sends a word through a prophet. He sends a word through a prophet. And I want you to understand that whenever God speaks a word, it is an answer to something you're dealing with. God does not speak arbitrarily. He does not just talk to hear himself talk. We do. He does not. When God speaks, it is on purpose. It is for a reason. And I love what God says here in chapter 9, verse 6. Because he says through the prophet that he is sending somebody. For unto us a child will be born, unto us a son is given. Jesus, I'm sorry, God the Father sees the condition of his people and he says, I have an answer for that. And the answer for that is coming their way. So God sends his answer and he describes this answer to the people so that when the answer arrives, they know what to look for. All right. The first thing that he says is that the government will rest on his shoulders. Understand, this is not just the politics and the government of ancient Near Eastern Israel. This is the government of it all. All power in heaven and earth belongs to him. That verse, that word power actually means authority. All authority. There is not a human being, there is not a demon, there is not an angel in existence in a seat of power or authority that does not have the approval of God. Christ is the head of it all. So his shoulders are so big that all government will rest upon it. Then he says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Word of God wells up in Isaiah, and he starts talking about God sending this answer to their condition. And the answer is wonderful, Counselor. Amen. The answer is mighty God. 
The answer is eternal father. The answer is prince of peace. But they're in decline. They're in sin. Their families are a mess. Their marriages are a mess. Their city is a mess. Their culture is getting farther and farther away from God. Doesn't that sound familiar? And God is not moved by that. Instead, he's moved to work toward an answer. And so he says, I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send a son. The son is coming. And his name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Church, can I tell you that God did not send to us the B team. God did not send to the earth the only guy who would volunteer. God did not draft a random angel who was minding his own business, and then he says, nope, you're the one that's going to go. That's not how that worked. Amen. God did not send somebody reluctantly. God did not send somebody who didn't want to come. Amen. God sent the very best that heaven had to offer. He sent a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He did not send an angel. He did not send a spirit or a creature or one of the divine counsel, whatever you want to get into. He sent himself. Because only he could answer our condition. Only God has the answer to what ails you. And I don't just mean your body. Only God can heal your body, yes. But only God can restore your mind. Only God can fix your marriage. Only God can save your children and your grandchildren. Only God can set you on a path that is stable and sure because maybe you've not come from anything that was stable and sure. Only God can do that. So God had to come. He did not send the B team. He sent his best, his only begotten son. God sent the most perfect, complete, unbroken man who has ever been. I'm talking to you about no longer broken. He sent the most perfect, complete, unbroken man that has ever walked this earth. Not since the time of Exodus had God's feet touched the earth until Jesus came. In the book of Exodus, God came down to have lunch with some people. And when he did, when his feet touched the mountain, it appeared under his feet a paved work like sapphire. When God's feet touch earth, things change. And so when God decided to send an answer, he had to send some feet down to the earth so that things would change. And that's what he did. In John chapter 3, we, we know this verse, if you've been in church very long at all, you've heard it. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That word only in the Greek means begotten. It's, it's like a birthing term. It's a birthing term. Jesus was not just in heaven chilling, hanging out, eating cream cheese or whatever it is that people do in heaven. That's an old reference. I just realized that. Wow. That's sobering. I just referenced a commercial that most people in here probably don't know. Wow. Back to it. Jesus, Jesus was not hanging out in heaven doing whatever it is that you would think he would be doing. He was in the Father. In the Father. He was part of the Father. And then he came from the Father. I need you to understand that. The Bible says that out of the abundance of our heart our mouth speaks. The, the fullness of your heart comes out your mouth. You can always tell. Husbands, when you come home and your wife starts talking, you can tell whether it's good to be home or not, can't you? Amen? 
Wives, when your husband comes home slamming stuff and saying stuff, you can tell whether or not you're glad he's home, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, it just comes rolling out, doesn't it? Understand that when God spoke, Jesus came out. He did not just send a good, shiny person. He spoke, and what was in his heart came out in the personification of Jesus. I know that's deep. I know that sounds like, what words became a guy, and the guy came down here? Yeah, yeah, no, that's how it worked. That's what happened. He spoke, and what was in his heart was wonderful, counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what came out. A lot of times what we think comes out is judgment. Don't get me wrong. God has the capacity to judge. There are times he's got to put his foot down. But more often than not, what we see from God is not a condemnation or a sentence. What we see is an answer to what ails us, an answer to our condition. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but will have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. In the book of Isaiah, through the prophecy, it says, Unto us a son will, a child will be born, and unto us a son will be given. In John chapter 3, we see whose Son it is. It is God's Son. God has sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world. Not to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. You don't have to tell sinful people they're sinful. You don't have to tell addicted people they're addicted. You don't have to tell abusive people they're abusive. Amen? We, we think sometimes that loving people, giant air quotes, loving people means we have to call them out on their stuff. Not always. Not always. And listen, if you don't occupy that position in their life, number one, thank God. But number two, that, that position is a position of love. Right? I call my kids on my stuff, on their stuff, because I love them more than anything. I will fight anybody for them. I will do whatever it takes for them. Do you understand? I'm willing to die for them. Therefore, if they're being a knucklehead, I'm going to call them out on it. If you don't love somebody like that, keep your mouth shut about what they do and just tell them about Jesus. Amen? Ignore what they're doing and tell them about Jesus. Sidebar. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Just because Jesus was God's Son, it does not mean that He did not get the full human experience in the earth. A lot of people are like, oh, well, of course Jesus was perfect. He was God. And then that gives us some excuse not to be perfect, not to be better. Let's shoot for better first, and we can get to perfect later. But we use that a lot as an excuse. Give me grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Give me grace. I'm not Jesus. No, but, but Jesus is in you. You believe in him. You believe in him. So Jesus was sent to the earth, and he had the full human experience. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or tested in all things just as we are. All things. So here's the further uh, explanation of what the Son has come to do. The Son has come to be tested. The Son has come into our condition, our environment, because most of us are products of our environment. He has come into our environment, and He has come to be tested. 
but he has come to pass the test where you and I might fail the test. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. He was tempted or tested in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tested, but he did not sin as we would. Think, let's take inventory for a second. Shut your eyes so that you don't have so that so that your wife or your spouse isn't staring at you. Take inventory for a second. Think of the dumbest stuff you've ever done. Think of the most sinful, intentional thing you've done. Think about that. Think about what that felt like. Think about what that did. Think about that scenario that led you to that moment where you royally messed up. Jesus encountered a moment like that, but did not mess up. You understand? You can open your eyes now. Thank you. Jesus encountered opportunities like that, but he did not fail where you and I would fail. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet he did not sin. None of us could make the claim that Jesus could make. None of us could do what he could do. He faced down his flesh. He faced down his desires. He even faced down Satan himself and did not fail as we have. I've gone toe-to-toe with some demons every now and then. I've, I've dealt with my own demons, but I've dealt with demons in other people too. And you know what? That's, a, that's an experience. And you would think you'd come out of that, if you win, you would think you'd come out of that feeling pretty awesome. But the exact opposite is true. When you encounter the enemy, when you face down the enemy, you come out of that thing feeling about like you're two inches tall. Because something bigger than you stood up and took care of it, and all you had to do was sit there and, and watch. All you got to do was hang out and enjoy the benefit of it. Jesus faced down Satan himself and did not fail as we would. Jesus also suffered loss and rejection. By the time we see Jesus as an adult, his earthly father Joseph has died. Did you know Jesus knows what it's like to grieve for a lost person, a dead person in their life? This man who had raised him and trained him, Jesus lost him. He knew what death was. Jesus was rejected by people over and over again. His own family at one point comes to Jesus because they think he's crazy. And they want to put him away. His own family. You ever had your family come to you claiming you were being crazy? Were you being crazy? Don't answer that. The family's sitting there nodding their head. It happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. His family came to put him away. His community rejected him. The very town he grew up in insulted him and his mama. There's a point where Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching these people. And they say, they don't like what he's saying, and they say to him, well, at least we're not the product of fornication like you are. I'm paraphrasing. You know what fornication is? Good old word that means sex before marriage. That's what that means. His own His own people that he'd grown up with didn't believe that he was the Son of God, didn't believe that he was an immaculate conception, a miraculous birth. His own people looked at him and said, we don't like what you're saying, and you're just an illegitimate child. And that's also, that's the biblical equivalent of saying, your mama. And that's what they did. And his mom was likely there when that happened. How horrible. How terrible. That's a real experience, though, isn't it? How many people have had that experience where people know what you came from and when you came, right? People know what happened in your life. And and it's not your fault. 
Mom and dad got together, didn't do it right. That's okay. It's not your fault. Jesus dealt with that. Jesus dealt with that. And yet all these things, all these circumstances, all of these words, all these hurtful things that were happening, even the devil himself, all of that was coming against Jesus, coming against Jesus. And yet Jesus remained the most complete, perfect, unbroken man to ever walk the earth. The most complete, uh, perfect and unbroken man to ever walk the earth. Through all these tests, he never, ever sinned. Through all the insults, he never, ever sinned, not one time. And so then what happened was for God's answer to fully come into our lives, the perfect and complete and unbroken man had to take on brokenness. He had to willingly accept our brokenness. Our brokenness. Whatever that looks like for you. It might be addiction. It might be abuse. It might be failure. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The point is if it's broken off of you, if it's put pieces in your life or put you into pieces, that brokenness has been applied to Jesus, the perfect, sinless, unbroken man willingly took on the brokenness of all humanity. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf. Jesus never knew sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why is it through Jesus? Because Jesus never sinned. Hebrews 4 told us that, right? He never sinned, not one time. But instead, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24. Jesus at the Last Supper. This is Paul's account of Jesus at the Last Supper. He said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken For who? For you. Jesus says verbatim out of his mouth that his life, his body is about to be broken for everybody around him. It it shouldn't have been. He was perfect. He was complete. He wasn't phased by what happened in this life. He said things like, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. We can't say that. I've got good days where I might say some eh, part of the day, but most days we can't say that. But Jesus lived every day like that. And then he turns around at the end of it all and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Broken for you. My brokenness was applied to his unbrokenness. Your brokenness was put on an unbroken, perfect man. Whatever it looked like, it was put upon him. 1 Peter 2, 22, He who committed no sin, nor was dis- any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. That's a miracle. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, And he himself brought our sins in his body upon the cross. He himself brought our sins in his body upon the cross. Wasn't his sin, wasn't his abuse, wasn't his addiction, wasn't his failure. It was yours. 
That means when that whip hit his back and tore into his back, that should have been your back. You with me? When those soldiers hit him in the face, that should have been your face taking that hit. When they pulled his beard out of your face, that should have been yours. When they tied him to that post and whipped him beyond recognition, should have been you. When they drove those spikes into his wrists and ankles and feet, it should have been your feet. should have been my feet, my hands. He himself brought our sins in his body upon the cross. Isaiah 53 says he was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain, familiar with sickness, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and he had no, we had no regard for him. However, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated, which is what people do. They see people suffering and they say, well, somebody's made God mad. So what he did, he took on our sickness, our pain. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our offenses. He was pierced for your offenses. I know you're all shiny and pretty today at church prom. Right? This is what this is, church prom. It's Easter. I know you're all shiny and pretty. I didn't make that up. I saw it on the internet. I'm not that clever. I know you're all shiny and pretty today, but it was your sickness that went upon him. It was your pain that was put upon him. He was wounded for your offenses. He was crushed for your wrongdoings. Mine too. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. That means it was applied to him externally. And by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall onto him. The perfect, complete, unbroken man. The most perfect that had ever been in this world. And yet God put all of our mess onto him. It doesn't seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem quite righteous, does it? But here's the deal. Either it went on Jesus or it went on you. And that's it. That's the reality. It's either on Jesus or it's on you. And the, the, the good gospel news is that if I believe that it's on Jesus and I believe that he really did what this book says that he did, if I believe that, then I get to be with him and be like him. I get to partake, not in brokenness anymore, but in unbrokenness. I get to be mended and restored and healed, put back together. How do I know that? Because that is exactly what happened to Jesus. We know that he was led up to the hill to be crucified. We know that he carried his own cross. We know that his back was laid open by a whip that had pieces of bone and metal and teeth, like animal teeth, woven into the leather straps, and it would catch onto his skin, and it would rip off chunks of skin. We know that they drove these spikes into his wrists and into his feet. We know that he was pierced by a spear in his side so that all of his fluids came out. We know all that, and it sounds horrible, doesn't it? And it leaves us with an image of a bloodied, mutilated, broken man. And that broken image, that image of, of the, the bloodlust and the, the 
depravity and the murder that was poured out on him. That image should be ours. That should be me bloodied on that cross. It should be me broken laying in that tomb. And that's what they did. They took him down and they laid him in that tomb. And for three days, it was done and it was over. Brokenness had won. Do you understand? For three days, nothing could live under that kind of brokenness. Nothing could take that punishment and walk away. You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And three days later, on the third day, Jesus got up because the power of God was so strong in his life that God could take a literal body that had been destroyed, destroyed, that could not live. And he did something in that grave that brought life again. He did something in that grave that caused air to come into those lungs again, that caused blood to dry up and go away. Amen? He did something that caused wounds to seal and scars to remain. I don't know how. I don't understand it. But here's what I know. The same power that did that for Jesus is available to you and I. It's available to anyone who believes. It really is. It's not that it's my job to tell you this. I don't get paid by how many people are here. Or by the word. I'm telling you the truth. What should have come on you went on him. So that what should have come on him can come on to you. Amen. That's the reality. He should have walked out scot-free. He should have been the one that was perfect and blameless and shiny. He should have been totally okay in this life, unmoved, unchanged by circumstance and people. That's what he should have been. But now that he's been broken for me, now that I believe that he was broken for me, I get to come out of this life put back together, whole, complete, Well, alive, somehow alive. How often should we have been dead, but somehow we're still here? How often should the enemy have won, but somehow we're still together? Jesus did not remain broken by our sin, and neither will we if we put our trust in him. And that's it. That's the message. That's the gospel. It is the message for today. No longer broken. How do I know that Jesus was no longer broken? Well, when we read read in John chapter 20, we see several events where Mary and the disciples have come to the tomb of Jesus. And they're looking for his body. They see that the stone has been rolled away. They don't see a body. They see the grave clothes laying there. And they begin to react differently. Peter and John, they run. They run back to the other guys. Mary, she stays. She weeps and she looks, for his, she, she looks for anybody who might know where her Savior's body might be. And little does she know, she turns around and she starts weeping at a man who, who she thinks is the gardener. And she says, sir, if you have taken the body of my Lord, please tell me where he is and I will fetch it and I will bring it again. And he says to her, Mary, Mary, he shakes her, I'm assuming. He says, Mary, and in that instant she says, Rabbi, teacher, she sees it's him. He's alive. He's alive, but but he was broken. 
He was destroyed. He was in pieces. He was a bloody mess. But here he is. He's standing and speaking and breathing and touching. And then later that night, Jesus appears in the midst of the disciples who are all holed up in a house somewhere because they're scared because they were wimps, which we would be too. Right, all right. We would, I would, I'll tell you straight up, I would be. They're holed up in a house, no one, no one coming in or out, and then all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the midst. And he says, peace be to you. And he shows them his hands, his scars, and they rejoice because they've seen the Lord. And it's amazing, but I want you to understand that power that stood Jesus up, that made him come alive again for 40 days and 40 nights after his death, or after his resurrection. He walked the earth and he showed himself by certain unfallible proofs, it says, to the disciples, to hundreds of people. And then he ascended into heaven. And he said that where, where I am, there you may be also. I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And one day I'm coming again for you, he said. That where I am, there you may be. But then something cool happens. And I'm going to read this and then we'll be done. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 10. This event takes place some 50 years after the resurrection of Christ. The man writing this is John. He's one of the inner circle of Jesus. He had three guys that he really, really trusted. John was one of those guys. John has been preaching and He's been an apostle for the kingdom of God. He's, he bears the scars and the wounds in his body. He was beaten. He was boiled, boiled, and he did not die. And so they kept trying to kill him, and he wouldn't die. So they put him on an island, a desert island, a prison island, to exile him because they couldn't kill him. And so John, standing there, now an older man, bearing the wounds of his ministry. He's in the spirit on the Lord's day, it says. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of those stands, I saw one like a son of man. The term son of man means human being. I saw one like a human being clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and wrapped around the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been heated to a glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Fair move. Amen? Pretty sure I would too. What does that sound like? A shining face, glowing skin, eyes like fire, hair white like wool. A voice of many waters. That doesn't sound like something from earth, does it? It doesn't sound like something natural. But I tell you what else it doesn't sound like. It also doesn't sound like the guy we saw in John chapter 20 who looked like a gardener. Can I submit to you that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was not even at that moment 
all that God had for him to be. That the full work of God in his life had not even yet been complete. And that when he went to heaven, something happened to him. And he came out the other side of that experience looking like that. And he said in verse 18, verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. Now to this point, I believe John does not know who it is. Okay? This is one of of Jesus' closest friends. John does not know who it is. He knows it's somebody from heaven. He knows it's it's otherworldly, but he doesn't know who it is. He says, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I'm sure John was thinking in that moment, I'm seeing God right now. And he was. The rest of verse 18, and I was dead. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Do you understand? He was dead. This is the guy that was broken for you. This was the guy who took your punishment. And yeah, he rose from the dead, and it's awesome, but he's not just like a a cleaned up body anymore. He looks like a God because he is God. He looks like God. His voice sounds like God. His face shines like God. But then we got to go to 1 John 3, verse 2, and I'm almost done. I've gone 36 minutes. I apologize. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know. We know that when He appears... We will be like Him. Amen? We will be like Him. The gospel has been good to us, hasn't it? Look how put together we are. Look what God has done in our life. Look at us, some of us who are still married who ought not be. Look at us who have kids who shouldn't have kids. Look at us who should be addicted but aren't. Look what the gospel has done. But that's not all. That's not all the gospel is going to do in us. One day, when we see Him, we're going to be like Him. I'm going to shine in ways I've never shined. There's going to be something in your eyes that's not always been in your eyes. Amen. Do you understand? This is what Jesus came to do. To take sinful, broken, destroyed, declining people despairing people, all legitimate, and turn them into things, people that look like God. That's what he wants to do in your life. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care how bad your parents were. I don't care what they've done. I don't care what you've done. The power of the gospel is so strong that if it can take a body that has been destroyed and breathe life into it again and then make it look like God again, Don't you think he can handle your attitude? Don't you think he can handle your sickness? You think your wife's too big for God? You think your husband's too much of a jerk for God to deal with? You think your kids are too crazy? Do you think that there is truly no hope when you serve a God who can do that to broken bodies? A God that can take sinfulness 
and put it on somebody who doesn't deserve it and then cure it. He cured sin. He cured it. He washed us from it in his own blood. Why? So that we can be defeated and down and destroyed and under the thumb of the devil? No. Rhetorical question. No. So that we can be like him. Church, that's what you were meant to be, like him. And you know what? If all these people in here walked out of here looking like him, and first of all, if we were all glowing, that'd be kind of cool, but if we all walked out looking like Jesus resurrected, sure, we might bear the scars, but we're not walking with the limp anymore. We're not walking under the weight anymore. We're not carrying the failure anymore. Because we put our trust in Jesus. And he took all that for us. So I don't have to walk out with it anymore. I can. You can. God is also not going to put you in a headlock and shove good things down your throat. He's not going to do it. That's what the devil does. The devil's the one that binds you up and forces things in your life. Not God. But I tell you what he does do. He says, hey, if you'll believe in me, I'll make you like me. I'll give you my mind. I'll, I'll, I'll enable you to put on Christ so that someday when we stand before him, we look like that guy. Wow. Stand with me this morning. Afternoon. It's 1230. In case you were wondering. And yes, I know. But I feel like it's very important because there are folks in here who only come a few times a year. You've come because somebody's invited you or because somebody's nagged you to come. And that's cool. It counts. It still counts even if they nagged you. But you've come today. And you've seen a drama, a dramatic presentation. You've seen people worship with their hands up, passionately singing, passionately crowning God, Jesus as their king, looking to the Lamb. We've seen all that, and that's great. And I hope your uh, conscience is assuaged, and I hope you feel better as you walk out. But there are folks in here who know the reality of the power of God, who know that He can do impossible things with broken people. They know because they've been healed before, they've been hurt before, and God stepped in somehow. And he made a way out. They know what it's like to lose. They know what it's like to suffer. But they know what it's like when God shows up. But the last time that that happened, it it kicked them too hard. And I just want to encourage you today that if you're one of those people where somebody let you down, somebody destroyed you, where you destroyed you, if you're one of those people, you don't have to stay in that grave another day longer. Amen? You don't have to stay addicted. You don't have to stay bound up. You don't have to stay depressed. You don't have to tell yourself whatever you're telling yourself so that you can sleep at night. There's a Savior and a King who's come today. He's alive today as He ever was. He's just as alive right now, and He's in this place. And He wants to reach out, and He wants to minister to you, whatever it is. Maybe you've never, ever met Him before. You've heard about him, but you've never heard about him quite like this. 
And today you want to meet him. Maybe you have met him before and you turned your back on him because life got hard. Because people can be terrible. That happens. Same God, same Savior is still here. Maybe you're a believer and the enemy is trying to wreck you. He's trying and maybe he's winning. But I'd like to invite you this morning. If you're in any of those categories or even something else I haven't said just yet, I'd like to invite you on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, to come alive again, to come up front and to, if you don't mind, come up front, let us pray with you. Let us, maybe you don't know how to pray so we can help. To come up here and to say, hey, Jesus, I want to try it. I want to try. I want to see what happens when you get into a life. I can tell you I've served the Lord for, gosh, 30 years now, since I was a little kid. And I have been far from perfect. But he has been so good to me. He really has. He's really made a way when there was no way. He's really held me together when I wanted to fall apart. He's really enabled me to give grace and mercy that I didn't even know was in me. And he can do that for you. He can do that for you. So I want to invite you. Come on. Come on. If you any of that applies to you and you just want to talk to the Lord and you just want to say, God, I got to do better. God, I, I got to do better. I got to come up. I got to, I got to let you do what you want to do in me. Let your power put me back together. Come on. Come on. Come on. Clap for him. If you're not coming, you better clap. You better clap. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. It's okay, even on Easter, to come up and say, man, I need some help. Amen. Some of the ministers, some of the folks come in and their wives, come and pray. If you don't know Jesus, you tell some of these folks that you don't know Jesus and you want to meet him. If you do know Jesus or you did and you want to come back, today's the day. Come on back, man. The doors are open. There's plenty of room, bro. There's plenty of room. Come on. God can do anything with anybody. Today's the day. Today's the day. They're going to sing something. We're going to pray. Please don't spectate. Pray. Worship. Create an atmosphere for God to move. We'll be done in a few minutes. But this is worth it on an Easter Sunday, isn't it? Hallelujah. People are coming back. Sons and daughters are coming home. Hallelujah. Go ahead. No longer. No longer. Hallelujah. No longer. Hallelujah. Lindsay has come back into the kingdom today. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. She grew up in this house. She came through youth group, my youth group, actually. And look what God's done. He's faithful. He's faithful. What a good God is in this place today. What a good God is in this place today. Please don't walk out carrying your junk anymore. Please don't. You can, but please don't. Whatever it is. I know it takes courage to walk up here. It takes courage. People see you. But I guarantee every person in here has done it. Amen. Raise your hand if you've ever come up here broken and beaten and wounded. Right? And you felt like everybody was watching you? Yep. And what happened when you came up? What did God do? How did He move? What did He say? Amen. Today's the day. Today's the day. I encourage you. I encourage you. Walk out. Call on His name every chance you get. 
and see if he won't show up. Amen? These are going to keep praying. Let them keep praying. They're going to keep singing. I'll be at the door. We'll, we'll greet you on the way out. Please go out respectfully. If you need prayer, come tug on somebody. We'll take care of it, okay? Bless you this Easter. Bless your family. Be safe and well today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.